second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I gotta buy some fucking drip pants. Miss Alex too. I guess it makes more sense for me to go first. I don't know. I like mine sandwiched between the two fun things. Why don't you go first? Let's just flip the script. You go first. I go second. Alex goes last. Okay, fine. That doesn't put you in the sandwich, does it? Oh, no, it does. It does. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this week, welcome to the show, everybody. This is the March and Mitch show featuring uh, Celine Sanez Pons, a.k.a. my future wife, a.k.a. currently my best friend and partner. You know what to do. This is uh, an interesting special episode. I'm glad to be here bringing you the content that you're all craving. You know, you're, you're at home. It's, it's the pandemic. We've got a quarantine the fires, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, just happened. And there's a lot of shit going on. I'm not going to lie. But we persist. We took a short break. Alex, the uh, beautiful co-host who is uh, so articulate and passionate about music and brings us some of the uh, best beers of the week, some of the most intriguing words ever to touch a microphone. Uh, he is currently still uh, on his vacation in Arizona. Nevada. 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 I think. I'm, I forget where exactly. He's somewhere in a different state. Somewhere out there. I don't know where, but he's definitely... Somewhere in the desert. It's very hot out there. Yeah. It could be like literally like four states. Anyways, he, he's out there somewhere where it's hot. Uh, luckily for him, he got out right before the fires. God bless the rains down in Africa, aka down in Oregon. Because we needed that shit. Uh, but this is the show, and we're here back. And so we're going to try a different formula. We're going to bring you a little bit more, I would guess, say news style. This is a little bit more news style. So we're going to have Alex's segment uh, toward the later of the show, latter of the show. Our boy's going to bring you his take on the artist of the week. And he's going to do it kind of like remotely as if we're, you know, uh, CBN or Fox News. And we're like, all right, Alex, now you with the artist of the week. And so that's how we're going to play it this week. So me and Celine. Crack open a can of Alex. Yeah. Crack open a can of Alex. Uh, sit back, chillax, you know, do the things that you do. And me and Celine are going to bring you the uh, majority of the show. And then we're going to have Alex uh, remote in. And, and bring you the artist of the week. So, this is the March and Mid Show featuring Celine, a.k.a. the best person on the planet. Uh, you know what it do. So glad this is a podcast and they can't see me blushing. Can't see you blushing? <laughs> uh, what, what do you mean blushing? Are you embarrassed because I love you so much? I'm, I mean, I'm... Yeah. 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 How interesting it is to have a couple doing uh, a podcast together with their best friend, a.k.a. the future best man. How interesting. Right. Yeah. Have we ever mentioned on this show that Alex is the best man? I don't think so. So that's the thing. No way. All of you listeners are invited to the wedding. So <laughs> you'll you'll get to see us there with our best man, Mr. Live, Alex Marchewski. Live stream. Live stream. He'll be the, the star of the wedding. Yeah. No kidding. Nobody, nobody puts it down on a mic like Alex. And I can't wait to feature his band. Uh, Swiss Army Wife mm -hmm. is the new one, the new name. 
Yeah, that'll be pretty cool to have those guys. Previously uh, house pederast, previously pederast. Dude, this is like that scene. Previously surf hag. In, is it Parks and Rec where Andy... Yeah, there's the whole <laughs> bit about how he's he's Mouse Rat yeah. and there's just constant different band names. Yeah, yeah. He, he's lists off nine different bands. Originally Mouse Rat and now we're like house, house Mouse Rat and... Uh, I, I wish I, I wish I had seen that scene more than once because uh, that that's exactly how I feel about Alex and his band. They've, switched, in the in the year span that I've known him, they've switched band names at least three times, and I think that's amazing. It's I just, love it. Yeah. So with that said, every, yeah, you want to launch into your bit? Yeah, I guess so. This is a little weird, but we're going backwards today, starting yeah. with the nostalgia trip. So the nostalgia trip this week is, and I can't do the rundown uh, as in previous episodes, whereas I would you know, give you guys the rundown in under two minutes. Like that seemed to be a pretty popular bit and, and I'm about it. Like that was really fun. But for this week's nostalgia trip, that's literally impossible. You can't break this film down into two minutes or less because the story's nonlinear. And with that said, I think the most interesting thing about this movie specifically is that it's not the first hit. This movie actually came out in 1994, directed by Quentin Tarantino. And this movie really did something uh, that most uh, films in the time and the era, you know, seldom, you know, ventured into. Is For the most part, this is one of those types of movies that you watch and you have to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And a little personal story that I was telling Celine uh, prior to the show is that the first, uh, so this, you know, let's take you back in time. Let's rewind the clock. It's uh, 19, no, wait, hold on, 2000. And seven, maybe 2008, you know, I was right mid prime high school, Sprague High School, not doing much skateboarding every day, just enjoying the life, being a bit of a night owl part of the time. Uh, but this is before Netflix. This is back when Netflix was on DVD. Uh, I don't remember if I was working a ton. Uh, at the same time, you know, there were a lot of streaming services, and I was a pretty bit of a bit of a pyro or pirate. I was a bit of a pirate pirateer. Pirateer, yeah. A buccaneer, uh, pirateer. The armady type. <laughs> uh, a digital pirate, if you if you will. Arg, you know I'd be out there online surfing the web. On the high seas of the webs. Be downloading all the things illegally from the pirate. Just bay. off the coast of Ghoul. Just off the coast of Google, down the Pirate Bay. I be downloaded the best of the best, are me buccaneers. So I would find uh, pretty much either online streaming services or movies to download from uTorrent at the time. And for the most part, would just, I didn't even have a TV in my room. I just had like a computer and I would watch these movies that I would download. And so my buddy Spencer, who I've I'd known since kindergarten, like, and, and this was back when I remember seeing in like Fred Meyer, they had the DVDs at the end of the, uh, what do you call them? The lines, the checkout lines. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so Pulp Fiction was a rated R movie. I wasn't old enough to buy it, but I had seen it a ton of times you know, sitting at the register. And and my buddy had told me about it so many times. Be like, you gotta see this movie. You gotta see this movie. And I just had seen it enough times at the Fred Meyer checkout that eventually I was like, okay, gonna go download this movie. So one night, sitting at home, download this movie, full HD, whatever. And it's it's probably like eight o'clock at night. And I, I, I start watching it, right? And this movie just captures my young soul. And so I watched this whole movie 
and I finish it. It's like 10 o'clock, and it's like a two and a half hour movie. 10 o'clock, I watch it again. And then, again, <laughs> so captivated by this uh, interesting original form of storytelling, I watch it again. I watch this movie three times back to back without stopping. And I've never done that with a movie. Again, maybe it was because it was free and I downloaded it. I don't know. But Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, 1994. Well, and I know you and I've watched things with you so many times. And there are so many things that you say are, you know, really good, excellent shows or movies that, you know, you don't mind walking out of the room during or, you know, not really paying attention to during. This one, like when we were watching it today, you were captivated the whole time like if I left the room you immediately paused if you needed to leave the room you immediately paused like this is the only movie that I've watched with you where you seem so 100% we need to watch every second of this um that's part of the uh that's part of the experience for this one it's because there are subtle key differences in this movie when watching it that require your attention like you can't just miss 10 minutes of this movie because a lot of this movie hinges on the previous scene. And so Quentin Tarantino does this thing where he chops up the movie that normally could be linear. And this movie is the one exception I feel like, whereas is Pulp, uh, Pulp Fiction can, couldn't be linear even if it wanted to be. Whereas Reservoir Dogs, we were talking that Reservoir Dogs is, is a similar style where the, the movie is cut up into different segments out of order to tell the story. Pulp Fiction, it couldn't, it couldn't be that way because each, it's, it's all character development, and the movie itself hinges on paying attention to the subtle, def the details where, like, you know, uh, Bruce Willis, aka Butch, you know, his watch, right? Like the scene, mm -hmm. the first scene that you see with him is at the bar. Marcellus Wallace is talking to him about taking a dive on on the uh, boxing match right and that like is like one of those scenes where like it's really easy to gloss over that like you're watching bruce willis and you're like ah oh, bruce willis and they're talking and you don't see marcellus wallace you know talking and, and it's just like okay like this scene and then like it kind of cuts away mm -hmm. right and so like it's really easy to miss that and then the next scene you see is christopher walken for less than five minutes talking about uh, vietnam world war one and two and about how he's like, he just goes on and on. He's like, this is your great-grandfather's watch. And, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, Christopher Walken just walking in. Yeah. It, it Tell just, us real quick about this butt watch. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's like, and, uh, and I, and I, and he, and he hit it in the only place he could, his ass. And, uh, and then when he died, I hit it up my ass. And seven years. two years, years yeah, I hit this yeah. uncomfortable chunk of metal up my ass. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and and, and that's here it. is your watch. It is your birthright. That is it. Then then that's the old, Christopher Walken comes in for a cameo. He nails right, and then it cuts thing. to like a totally other set of people. Like then it's it like, cut, then it cuts back to Bruce Willis before the white. Yeah, cut right yeah. before the fight. Bruce Willis wakes up in like basically like a night terror on like right before the the fight, and and now you're following the the Bruce Willis story, Butch's story which is uh, him and Marcellus Wallace. And that's kind of like the key part of this movie. This really is the uh, the meat and potatoes because mm -hmm. it's the most cohesive. The side story with um, Vincent, you know, taking out Marcellus Wallace's wife is, is pretty pivotal too. But at the same time, the majority of the film, the, the idea, I guess the core concepts boil down to Marcellus Wallace and Bruce Willis. Um, I forget, the, I forget Marcellus Wallace's actor's name. Shoot. He's very famous too. But, uh, the, the core concept is, is these two in there and everything that kind of surrounds them. But yeah, 
for the most part, uh, this movie just is insane. And the whole... And it's it's so much what other movies have tried to do so many times, but can't really pull off successfully because it's difficult to make a non-linear narrative right. work. But this is one of the few movies that I've seen that's a, a non-linear narrative. It's, you know, it's in the future, then it jumps back, then it jumps forward, then it jumps back. Mm-hmm. That actually makes sense. Right. You know, you can easily pick up the thread. Like, and I actually remember in the very first scene, there's the, the couple robbing the restaurant. Yep. And... For a while, you're kind of like, well, where where do they come back in? But as soon as they do come back in, like as soon as they go to that restaurant, it's like, oh, okay, I remember this scene. Like mm. they do a really good job of making the pieces so concise mm-hmm. and memorable that you don't, you know, most movies like this, when they try to come back to something that you've seen before, you right. have to do a lot of legwork for them. Right. And yeah. this is just Tarantino just handed us this, you know, story that makes sense, even though it has no reason to make sense. Right. Yeah, and I think that's my favorite part about this is that, again, the entire movie is based off character development. Vincent, uh, who's played by John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Bruce Willis, all these guys, you know, their individual stories are the end Uma Thurman. Like, each individual story is the watching these characters develop as it happens in their scenes. You know, each mm-hmm. scene only has like two people. Like the first thing, like the first thing you've seen with Samuel L. Jackson and um, John Travolta, they're talking about foot massages, right? Right. And then that comes back into play when John Travolta has his scene with Uma Thurman and they're sitting down at dinner and he's like, okay. Right. You know, he's like. Exactly, yeah. He got thrown off a ledge because he gave you a foot massage. And, and the best part of that is because, you know, John Travolta convinces Samuel L. Jackson, you know, he's like, well, would you give a guy a foot massage? And and he's like, fuck you. He's like, I don't know. My feet are kind of tired. And he's like, fuck you. He's He's like, I could really use a foot massage right now. He's like, hey, I'm getting pissed off right now. You better chill. And then they're sitting down at dinner, Uma Thurma and John Travolta. And John Travolta's like, I heard he got thrown out because, you know, he gave you a foot massage. And Uma Thurma's like, and what else? And he's like, that's it right she leaves him looking like a fucking fool yeah he's like you think it's reasonable you believed this you think it's reasonable (laughs) that he got thrown out of a four-story building because he massaged my feet and he's like oh no i don't i don't think it's reasonable but i i I mean i I, maybe excessive yeah it may be excessive but it could have happened it's like the only thing he touched was when my he, hand yeah, when he shook it. exactly yeah and and that scene itself is just like this cherry on top because they spend so much time and and the entire way that they film the intro scene is like these long corridor uh there's no cuts and so like that's one of like the big things of the film is that like there's really these like kind oh that's of, true i never i didn't notice that while watching yeah that's true there's kind of these lengthy conversations that go on without any cuts and so that means that the actors had to do the entire scene you know mm-hmm. uh these two to three minute um not monologue scenes you know with uh, each other but there's like two to three minutes long of dialogue where they're just talking to each other before and and then they, he brings it back with this other scene and it just completely shuts them down. So I think that was one of like the more uh, subtle, but like very sweet moments where, you know, he had Samuel L. Jackson talking about, you know, like, fuck you. You're like, oh, fuck a foot massage, you know, and shit. And, and then like Uma Thurma just puts it down and just like, mm-hmm. no, that's not what happened. So uh, I also have to say, I love I'm so I don't know this for a fact because I'm not like a 
Tarantino buff. Right. But I've always liked the fact that Tarantino inserts himself at some point into his movies. Right. And at least to my knowledge, I think that might be the longest right. Tarantino scene yeah, where no, he's he himself in the is a character. When he shows up, yeah, he's he's in the entire scene from pretty much start to finish when they're trying to clean up the uh, the dead body. Yeah. Right. And that night, I want to cover train spotting another time. You know, give it give it its its real due and cover it as an actual nostalgia trip. But mm. I did think of train spotting while watching this for for two reasons. First of all, train spotting I think totally jacked the uh, shooting heroin into the arm scene. Yeah. Because train spotting has an almost identical scene of you see the arm, you see the needle, yeah, you see the blood in the chamber, and you see the drugs getting shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Tarantino showing up and being, you know, such an integral part of the plot line here. Yeah, also reminded me of Train Spotting because that's uh, originally a book written by uh, Irvine Welsh. And in Train Spotting, Irvine Welsh shows up as a not nearly as integral character, but does show up as a character. And you could really tell Train Spotting, which came out in 1996, two years after Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite, favorite movies, if not my very favorite movie. You could really tell the Train Spotting took a lot of ideas and yeah. moods from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Well, again, Pulp Fiction is like a cult classic. Like it, it's, it's on the top of the charts. It, it really is what qu- gave Quentin Tarantino his name. Like Pulp Fiction, like I said, it really is a standalone film out of his uh, entire collection. And Quentin Tarantino is a baller. Like the man himself said, like he's doing 10 films and then he's retiring. And um, the one, the Hollywood one that he just did was Brad Pitt and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio starring like that movie. Not very good, but that I think that's his. Was that Hateful Eight? Which one was that? No, this is like I don't don't remember the title. Sorry, I'm not like I said. I'm not a Quentin Tarantino. No, yeah, but this is I think I do have a friend who rode in a a elevator in a hotel with him in Las Vegas once. Interesting, but no, this is like his ninth uh, or tenth film. I can't remember what it is, but it was it was not good. Like I watched the movie online uh, through one of the services. And it was, well, Brad Pitt and Leo, you you'd think that those two together would just like smash the story, but the story itself was just really poor. Mm. It's it's just not a good film. And again, well, I feel like Tarantino's whole shtick is gratuitous violence for the sake of highlighting like the Kill silliness Bill. of yeah, the, for the sake of highlighting the silliness of violence and. I, you know, you can do it well so many times, but there's a point where I feel like dude, people, the idea of like just bonkers violence gets a little played. Went ape shit over Kill Bill, and I quietly sat there and just was like, "This movie is not that good." I didn't care for it. Yeah, but people went ape my shit dad, over it. My dad made me watch it. He like made me promise I was going to watch it when I wrote my uh, college thesis on the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, because my entire thing was about females being, you know, getting violent revenge justifiably. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it and be like, "I, I'll stick with girl with the dragon tattoo." Dude, yeah, Kill Bill's Kill Bill is not that good, and I'll say it here. Uh, again. Unpopular opinions oh, yeah. resurrected. It really is, though. It just is. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, it's not. It's not worth the time. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the classic Pulp Fiction. The movie itself is a ten out of ten. Yes, and I've never seen it before. And I, you've also had it hyped, I, hyped up a bunch from uh, pretty much anyone who's ever said to you, "Oh, you need to watch a Pulp yeah, Fiction." Yeah, well, and I've I've steered clear of Pulp Fiction because. It's honestly kind of hilarious when some random 
white man asks if I've seen. Why has it got to be a white man? Because it always is. I've never had the hilariously flabbergasted response from anybody who's not a white man when I say that I haven't seen Pulp Fiction. But so I've been kind of steering clear of it, first of all, because it's hilarious to see the response when somebody's like, you've seen Pulp Fiction, right? And I'm like, nah. Some people. And just- then just watch their brain melt and be like, you have to watch Pulp Fiction. And so I always kind of steered clear of it because it was funny and also because I don't trust those people's opinions. Some people just want to watch but the world burn. That's fine. I like your opinions. And so I decided to give it a try and I'm glad that I did. Hmm. It was an excellent film. When are you going to learn? When you tell me cool stuff, I'm, I'm down <laughs> to listen to cool stuff. I'm just not a, not down for. It only takes like nine or ten times of me telling you that it's something cool. You no, know, I'm not to, interested in Joe Frat Boy telling me that I'm really missing out. Well, you know what? Just because they're Joe Frat Boy doesn't mean that they may have stumbled onto something that might actually be decent. You gotta treat all. Amen. Pe- you gotta treat all people with respect. You can't judge the art by the people who consume it. Exactly. There's a reason it's popular. Amen. Yeah. Anyways. That's my shtick. I'm not going to, again, I can't do the two minute thing with Pulp Fiction. It's just impossible. If I did, I would just, my head would explode. Try, yeah, that, try. I would love to see you try. That would just be a bonkers two minutes to try to explain. Yeah, I would literally need to write down the name of each individual actor prior and just be like, and then Uma Thurman, and then Samuel L. Jackson, and then John Travolta, and, and, and. Yeah, and that would be the end of the show. But anyways, with that segment, I do declare... This is a wonderful time to transition into our our great co-host, the founder of the show with me, here from day one, Alex Marchewski, coming to you live. Well, not necessarily live, but coming to you from a place where, you know, he has things to say. And I want you to hear these things. And so we're going to we're going to cut on over to Marchewski's segment. This is the artist of the week. We're going to play uh, a snippet of the song for you and you're going to sit down and you're going to just listen to what he has to say because this is the show and uh, I say what goes cuz you know, I uh, created the show. So sit down, shut up and put on your headphones, turn the volume to 11 and we're going to give you some kick-ass music to listen to in just a second. So here we go welcome back to the march and mitch show with celine santa's pond it's an extreme pleasure to be talking to all you guys today we're going to talk to you about our artist of the week artist of the week coming at you this week we have none other than chicago illinois knuckle puck literally this band sound sounds like a freaking pop punk slap shot from a a hockey player straight to your fucking junk that's literally what their music feels like but seriously knuckle puck has a really great 2010s pop punk sound which is something that i've always really fucking loved and they just add a lot of great original emo elements while kind of driving in a lane of their own um they had two albums uh before this year that I really enjoyed, uh, Shapeshifter. I saw two different tour dates for that, which was really entertaining with my friends. And then they also have a Copacetic, which is a huge staple in the 2010s pop punk and emo scene. Uh, Knuckle Puck brings back a lot of good memories for me, particularly one New Year's uh, party. I had all my, you know, 
punk cohorts and emo miscreants coming to my freaking house. I would try to have a New Year's party every year. You know, I lived in a pretty, pretty cruddy little trap house uh, in Salem. And while I had a lot of good memories there, you know, it, you just kind of realize as you get older, you know, you outgrow some stuff. But this band's music is something I don't see myself graduating from anytime soon. I feel like I kind of grow up with their albums as I continue to age and my fr- my friends continue to age. Their music creates a really good staple that you really just can't get out. You're really going to have to get your fucking razor out. Get, get out of there. Get, get the staple out. Damn it. <laughs> I remember playing their song No Good and uh, my buddy Jesse Tumalo who is in a local pop punk band. We were all moshing in my living room, pushing each other into bookshelves, falling over tables and shit. It's always a good time to have music like that that's rowdy, especially at a time right now where everything is just so fucking negative. You turn the news on, you know, and you're just like, fuck, god damn it. Fuck this shit. There's a global pandemic, social unrest, we have a fucking Cheeto as president. And the other electees, they don't seem that much great either. I know I'll, I'll save the, the social commentary for uh, my co-host, Celine, but in all due respect, Knuckle Puck's music continues to persevere, uh, stay positive, and come at you from all angles, much like any other good pop puck band. Their singer, Joe Taylor, has really great lyrics, whether they're about coming of age, coming to grips with your own uh, you know, personal traumas and stressors. This band is so hardworking. I know they've done like Vans Warped Tour in a van before. I know they've been to the, you know, the Atlantic and the Pacific and back, and I like that really good punk spirit, just because they, you know, come from uh, a music scene where most people associate them with, you know, tight jeans and neon and vans, you know, don't, don't write them off for a fucking second, because this band goes just as hard as some of your other punk acts. No bullshit here. Um, when I look back at my early adulthood and I see my life kind of come to fruition and get older, I realize a lot of this music and these albums, whether they're bands like The Story So Far, The Wonder Years, or, you know, these newer bands, they kind of grow up with me a little bit. And I see these singers change. And on this new album, conveniently called 2020, yep, literally, this album is called 2020. That's a 20-20 and we're talking about vision. You're trying to see things 100% fucking clear. And with my co-hosts, Celine and Mitchell, I know right now it's there's fucking fires everywhere. And God bless, I heard uh, the rainstorm came and some lightning and rain hopefully cleared out most of the smoke and the air quality's back to normal. I think, goodness gracious, uh, to all the firefighters in Oregon and all the volunteers, thank, especially all the, uh, all the immigrant firefighters and people of, of color and all the great human beings in Oregon converging right now to help that situation and help create progress. You are all fucking awesome and I love each and every one of you. I'm really excited that Knuckle Puck's new album was able to breathe some life back into me. I had been pretty sad for a moment uh, dealing with some stress, whether it be, you know, using or my choices in life or even just, you know, looking at all the unrest in the country, whether it be social, criminal, uh, political, the whole schema of everything really was starting to fuck with me. And that was something I never let affect me. I've always been a very vain guy. I've always been very selfish. And I, I would rarely let the problems of others, you know, kind of get in the way of my own devices. But now it's, it's the voice is so loud. And I'm glad that there's, you know, progress, no matter how little it may be, it's happening in our country. And I'm really great that people keep fighting the good fight for what they believe in. We're all human beings. And regardless of uh, skin color, 
race, ethnicity, religion. We all deserve to love and be loved. And I love this fucking new album. Knuckle Puck's album slaps so damn hard. The track Earthquake is a great way to get things going. This song makes me want to open up a mosh pit uh, in my bedroom or in a living room. The album artwork is really good too. Uh, I, I love these colors here because if you really take a peek at it, it's just, it's just a, a, a person with a, a black long sleeve shirt holding a mirror up and as they hold the, the reflection of the mirror up back at uh, another mirror, this hand mirror is creating an image that's going on forever. And I fucking like that a lot. It is really cool. I know this is a podcast, but if you have Google, pull up the album cover for 2020 by Knuckle Puck. The song of the week for our artist of the week is going to be none other than Earthquake by Knuckle Puck. This song has a really good feature. It's got positive vibes. Joe Taylor's voice was nice and crisp, and the rest of the band slaps at it pretty hard. This whole album has been very entertaining for me with songs like True North and Into the Blue. I even liked RSVP. Uh, 2020, this is a really good record to listen to, despite all the crazy shit happening in, in the world right now. Um, coronavirus or your personal stressors or traumas, just remind yourself at the end of the day, have stuff to look forward to, have stuff to look forward to, and have stuff to keep you busy. Um, at a time right now, I do my best to just you know try to work on music every day. I look forward to this podcast with my very good-looking and handsome co-host, Mitchell Herring, and the very handsome and good-looking Celine Sanis Pond, and it's just such a delight to be a part of this. Um, I have a band, uh, Swiss Army Wife, they're playing their music, and when hopefully we get some press around, we'll get some stuff working for that too, and I'm excited to finally do my own music as artist of the week someday that'll be very entertaining and also very in the similar vein of pop punk and indie rock uh my boys tim and kate are shooting a music video right now and i'm so fucking pumped to see how it goes this is going to be really sick to see music that i help contribute to kind of come to life and whether it's the the medium of cinema uh, or just, you know, having a really good track, it feels cool to contribute to something artistically as I get closer to 30, especially, too. Uh, music's my whole life, and Knuckle Puck did such a fucking outstanding job with this record. I literally want to give it um, 8 out of 10 scissor kicks out of 10, literally. I saw Knuckle Puck on tour with Citizen, which is another one of my favorite bands of all time, and uh, they're such great performers. Like, they literally do not miss a beat. Every single track they played sounds like exactly off the CD. They're such great musicians, and especially coming up on their third full-length album, I know they had, they had had you know EPs previously. Knuckle Puck's music to me really just captures a great emo vibe that you relate to because when you have these good clear vocals from Joe Taylor, you're getting into it on an emotional level. But when you hear the band blast out these really sick beats and just great, you know whether they're octave runs or some good guitar leads songs on this record they actually do remind me of uh, Anne Berlin's music for those of you that know Anne Berlin huge legends in the Vans Warped Tour scene the punk and emo scene they've been on all press everything you name it and a lot of the songs on this record kind of have that positive vibe that kind of strays away from knuckle pucks more angrier angst gotta fuck shit up kind of vibe and much like we kind of learn how to forgive and you know listen to people i feel like knuckle pucks music has grown up in that sense so that's been really cool the album on rise records is 20-20 please give it a peep give it a listen i want to just describe it as very good melodic 
melodic in your face pop punk it's really entertaining and the album is 20-20 kind of like you know 2020 vision and this also happens to be the year 2020 low-key fuck 2020 but anyways we got great music to look forward to and this is the song the track is called breathe Featuring Derek Sanders, and your artist though the week is Knuckle Park. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Artist of the Week. We played you the song. Uh, we let the whole song play. Why not? Because uh, it's a good song. Yeah, I'm totally cool with being able to listen back to that on the podcast. Yeah, we'll probably you know go back to snippets, but I really like this song, so I think uh, we're gonna just keep it. Good up. choice, yeah. Alex. Uh, current events, whatever you will call it, we bring you 
Celine Santa's pond, your topic. What do you say? All right. Well, I say it's Britney, bitch. I want to talk about Britney Spears and the hashtag free Britney movement. Um, I chose this because I want to choose something this week that's actually kind of important and interesting, but not so real for the state of affairs, because I feel like every single week I try to come up with a fun topic and then the news just slaps me in the face with right. stuff that I feel like I have to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other option that I had this week, and I do want to kind of give a little bit of a shout out to it, is uh, the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I don't want to go too much into it because I, I chose a different topic specifically because I don't want to go into stuff that gives me existential dread. <laughs> but I do want to say that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, you know, a, a really unique, excellent justice. I think that she pioneered the way for women in fields, you know, in the law as well as everywhere else based on her work. And, you know, she she is Jewish, so I don't want to use Christian you know, well-beingisms like rest in peace mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, rest in power. But I do want to say that may her memory be a blessing. Shout out to Justice, Justice Bader Ginsburg. Uh, but that gotten out of the way. I want to jump into something that's like somewhat more lighthearted, but still a little uh, a little fucked. Um, so let's talk about Britney Spears. Um, so, uh, Mitchell, are you uh, familiar at all with the hashtag Free Britney movement? A little bit. Okay, what do you know about it? Uh, all I know is that Britney's dad like assumed control of her after her mental breakdown several years ago, you know, when she shaved her head and stuff. And uh, somewhere between there now, there seems to be um, some discord around, you know, who's going to control basically Britney's wealth and creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty apt summary of what's been going on. So in... 2007, Britney Spears had what she, you know, self-identifies as a, a pretty severe mental health crisis. Yeah. Um, the things that are remembered from that time are the infamous shaving her head episode, as well as the other two kind of key things that people publicly remember are photographs of her driving um, in the car with her infant child mm. in her lap in the front seat without a car seat and her attacking a paparazzi member's car with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And people have kind of spun all these things to make her look like a, she's crazy. Like this, she's just going wild. She doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. But all of these things were a pretty clear response to the fact that she had been a child star who had never been outside of the public eye. Paparazzi were constantly flooding her life. And so understandably, she had a, a stress breakdown. Mm-hmm. And so in 2008, following all of these incidents, her father, uh, so Brittany was committed to a men- mental institution. She was 51 50 and her father took control as the conservator, conservator of her estate. And that's typically something that's reserved for somebody who has very little capacity to control their own life. So mm. like dementia for right. elderly is like one of the key things that a conservatorship is for. So that's kind of the extreme, the, the extremity of this type of legal arrangement is it's typically reserved for people who have so little capacity to control their own finances. And originally it was a temporary conservatorship, but her father kept having it extended and extended and extended and extended. Right. Who wouldn't want billions of dollars worth of wealth at their disposal? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that Britney Spears has actually pointed out is because she's now trying to get out of this conservatorship. And one thing she's pointed out is that it's very expensive to be in a conservatorship because Mm -hmm. her father and the lawyer who's the co-conservator, both of them are getting paid 
significant amounts of money to manage her estate. Mm. So she said, look, I, I don't think that I can realistically continue to budget for you guys anymore. But so so basically what's what's been happening is that for the last 12 years, her dad has been not only in charge of her finances, but also her business dealings, as well as any medical decisions she wants to make. Mm-hmm. And this kind of came to a head in last year, 2018, when Brittany was hospitalized. Hmm? It's 2020, baby. Yeah, last year, 2019. That would, oh, yeah, go ahead. I thought you said 2018. Nah, 2019. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so this kind of came to a head early last year. Uh, when Jamie Spears, her father, was having some sig- significant health issues. And simultaneously, so basically the word on the street is that Brittany entered into a mental health treatment facility to cope with the fact that her dad was having serious health issues because mm-hmm. the word on the street and what she put out publicly was that she was struggling with that reality. Um, now, what became interesting was that after she was hospitalized, somebody came to the podcast, Brits Graham, and uh, anonymously said that they were a paralegal who had worked under Britney's lawyers and that Britney was not voluntarily hospitalized. They said that basically Britney had stopped taking her mental health medication because she didn't like it anymore and didn't want to take it. And her father basically said, either go back on your meds and perform as scheduled or we pull the plug, you go to the hospital. She ended up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, this is all speculation. It's not something that's been confirmed by Britney, but... After this, after hearing that she may have been involuntarily hospitalized, the hashtag Free Britney movement began and fans kind of started dissecting everything that was on her Instagram, trying to look for different clues. And some of it is a little bit foolish. Like some of it is stuff like, you know, if she mentions the word control, they're like, oh, it's a clue. It's a clue that she's controlled. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of it is a little bit freakier. Like there's, uh, you know, one kind of famous thing in the, the hashtag Free Britney movement where somebody commented on an Instagram video of hers and said, if you need our help, wear yellow in your next video. And in her very next Instagram post, she posted a picture that's just her kind of weirdly, vaguely dancing to music, not really doing anything, but wearing a bright yellow top. Mm. And in the comments, like in the, in the, uh, uh, what you call it, the caption, mm. she said, I felt so good today. I wanted to put on my favorite yellow top. So specifically saying yellow, wearing yellow immediately after this. So people were like, oh God, she needs our help. So people have kind of been try, like trying to come to her aid here. And as much as there have been like some things that Brittany says that kind of discourage it, like she said, like, hey, things are getting crazy. Leave me alone. I'm trying to focus on my health. Stop. Stop being crazy. She's also kind of given a nod to the people who are trying to delve into what's going on here. And one thing that's really interesting is that her dad has fought tooth and nail keep all of these court documents sealed mm-hmm. about the conservatorship, like all of the documentation saying why she's under a conservatorship. He's fought tooth and nail to keep that sealed from the public eye so far successfully. Mm-hmm. But Britney Spears, as well as her mother, um, Lynn and her sister, Jamie Lynn, both of them are trying, all three of them are trying really hard to get the court, courts to unseal these documents so that the public can know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So Britney's made it really clear that she wants people to know what's happening. She doesn't think that this should be hidden. And that gives the movement a lot of credence. Like a lot of people have read that as Britney saying, yes, I'm trying to escape from something that I need out of. Um, And, you know, it it makes a lot of sense because when you look at what's happened with her and her dad, as much as it's very private and the documents are sealed, so much speculation about her dad just being an absolute mess. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we do know is that, uh, so Jamie Spears, her father, 
he uh, actually is not allowed to see either of her children because last year in 2019, he stepped down saying that it was due to medical issues. But it also happened to coincide with Kevin Federline, Brittany's mm. ex-husband and the father of their children, um, filing a police report against Jamie Spears, alleging that he had physically assaulted their 14-year-old son. Mm. And while, you know, he was charged, so Jamie Spears was charged, but he was never actually, you know, convicted of anything. So it's, you know, it's legally up in the air what happened. But a restraining order was granted for both of the boys against their grandfather. So there's definitely something wacky going on with Jamie Spears. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately what this comes down to is that, you know, Brittany has been for the last 12 years living under her father's thumb. She can't arrange her own visits with people. She has to get approval to spend her own money. All of her shows are things that her father has coordinated and signed off on. Mm -hmm. And one thing that she said is that part of why that she doesn't think that she can afford a conservatorship anymore is because she doesn't want to perform anymore. Right. You know, she's had a Vegas residency for the last several years. Mm -hmm. That's where most of her money these days comes from. And she's trying to cut expenses because she doesn't want to perform anymore. And the big speculation is that her dad's been forcing her to perform for money. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see this all come to a head, but basically where we're at right now is that recently in August, we found out that her sister was going to take control of her finances. Mm -hmm. Her father has been officially kind of put aside as the guy in charge because Britney Spears said specifically that she didn't want him involved at all. And we're not going to find out what's going to happen until uh, February of 2021 is when the judge said that that would be the decision date. But that's kind of where the free Britney movement is at. Mm -hmm. Very cool. That's good to know. I was hoping, yeah, because it did seem for like a long time that... Uh, poor Britney Spears has been, ha had a moment of, you know, lapse of judgment. It, you know, I think we've all can relate to that just where you'd have a moment of break, um, a short moment of breakdown. Uh, and just, unfortunately she was in the public eye and it sounds like, imagine if the worst moments of your twenties were yeah in front of everyone. Yeah. And it did seem, it did to me feel, and again, I'm not super involved in this, but it does feel to me in, in the grandiose scheme of things that for the most part, this really did feel like a cash grab to, to maintain control of something. Whereas, you know, it was, uh, we've all done crazy things. And this seemed to be like one of those moments where it was like, because these crazy things were publicized. And so many of her crazy things seem to be directly prompted by being publicized. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the baby in the lap while yeah. driving incident. She said that she recognized that that was not, yeah. An appropriate choice, but she was so desperate to get away from the paparazzi that she didn't have time to strap the kid into the seat. She was just like, we've got to go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, it does, it does feel like, you know, there was a bit of a power play for control here to maintain a lot of, you know, again, it all comes back to, you know, you always ask yourself, where's the money? And, you know, Britney's ta career and talent is the money. And so, of course, it you know, somebody who's, you know, two options are to live their normal life or to take control of this billion dollar, you know, uh, cash cow. Of course, you know, mm -hmm. greed is greed among men. Well, and she's in a real fucking catch 22 because her lawyer, because all major decisions, mm -hmm. all major legal, financial and medical decisions go through her conservatorship. Mm -hmm. So her lawyer that she has to use to fight this conservatorship is one who's appointed by her conservator. Mm -hmm. Right, on the payroll. Yeah, so it's it's an entire mess. Um, 
it sounds to me like everything that I've read, it sounds to me like she's fighting it in the most appropriate legal ways possible. But basically everybody in her family, except for her father, says that she's wanted out of this yeah. from pretty early on. Like they said that she accepted this when it first happened because she was like, yeah, you know, I, I'm not well. Help me out. Help me figure out my shit so that I can take good care of my kids. And to her credit, she's done an excellent job as as a human. If you know, if you, if you ask right. my opinion, yeah. um, you know, one of my favorite things about her is just that she's grown so much as a mother. Um, she has gotten herself a tutor so that she can help her kids with homework. Like not gotten her kids a tutor, mm-hmm. but you know, she didn't understand her son's algebra assignment. So she got herself a tutor so that she could understand algebra so that she could help her kid. Um, And one thing that she said is in interviews is that she started out raising her kids the way that her mom raised her and in that Disney showbiz kind Mm -hmm. of parent-child relationship. Her mom gave her cough syrup and whiskey to fall asleep every night. And so she just genuinely thought that that was what you did. And so as she grew, she kind of started to realize, hey, that's... In fact, not how you raise children. And from the sounds of it, from everything that I've read, from everything that I've heard, she's really gone out of her way to try to unlearn unhealthy habits and become the best parent that she can be. And obviously the fact that her conservator has a, you know, her kids have a restraining order against her conservative Mm. conservator. Of course, that's going to be a pretty pivotal thing here. So I, I just, I think it's really cool that she's fighting back. I think it's really cool that the rest of her family has her back. And I really just, Fucking hope the best for Brittany. Yeah. Very cool. And with that, I think uh, that's a strong and powerful uh, point to bring out to today's world. I think we're all trying to do our best, but I think uh, some of us are blessed with, you know, more freedom than others, which allows us to, you know, pursue our best lives. And I think it's important that we always, uh, you know, remember that, you know, there are always things that can be, things can always be worse, right? And the life that you have is the life that you make it. And there are a lot of us who um, are quite freely allowed to live our best lives, regardless of whether we are not or we are doing so. I think it's important to to acknowledge, you know, the that we are our own creators of everything. And, you know, some people have to deal with these crazy court battles and, you know, never to never to look outside yourself. And so make sure that, you know, you're thankful for what you have and the freedom you have. And uh, if you want to make change in your own life, that's something that you can do. And and that's kind of one of the philosophies of the show is to do what you love, regardless of whatever it may be that's holding you back right now. Like there's always if there's a will, there's a way, as they say. And that's kind of what, uh, what we do here. And, you know, we, d- we don't expect much from the show, but we do it because we love to. I love the idea of Brittany's story as a parallel for our own story. Yeah. Leaning and relying on the people that you love. Continuing to work hard for what you need. Yeah. And we have Brittany the f- bitch. Yeah, we have the freedom to do that. So we are Brittany bitch. And with that said, that is another episode of the March and Mitch Show featuring Celine. We're going to cut it now, and we just want to say thank you, guys. I'm going to play the Godzilla theme because I can. Bum, 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 bum. You know it. All right, everybody have a great night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>